you know, our, our streets really shouldn't be the Wild West. And um, even if, you know, an experienced cyclist like myself, there's still things that I worry about, like, hey, is that driver coming up behind me paying attention while they're speeding? Are they going to pass safely? Are they in control of their vehicle? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we shouldn't have a society that just gives people a free pass on that stuff. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't think of cycling as alternative. It should be something that any ordinary everyday person can do and it's accessible to them and I think culturally if it's taught in the schools it becomes like math and science and reading and -hmm. social studies it's hey it's something I learned in school it's an everyday thing Mm -hmm. so we're happy with helping bring that change about I'm Rich Conroy, I'm Director of Education at Bike New York in New York City. And so we have uh, Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition in LA, is that sort of uh, the equivalent? Um, I'm, yeah, so I'm not sh- sure what all they do. We do some advocacy and uh, we do a major event, the Fibro Bike Tour. Mm. We have some smaller events, a membership program. And uh, one of the largest, if not the largest, bike skills education program in the United States. So we have bike skills education programs um, like uh, Metro, our, you know, Metro uh, is our Metro. Right. And they have theirs. Uh, I think I know the guy and I'm blanking out. Um, some of the metro stations have bike hubs or little bike shops. Yeah, I know the guy who runs those. Uh, he's a coach for the League of American Bicyclists, oh. if we're thinking of the same person. I don't know. Um, I don't have the well, name. Well, I think Brett me. Thomas is the guy who that I know who okay. has something to do with it, but you might also know somebody. So your organization, Bike New York, is bigger than I expected uh, for some reason. I don't know. It's You've got all of this office space overlooking Grant's tomb and the Hudson River. <laughs> I mean, this is like prime real estate. I guess there's a lot of prime real estate in New York City, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, the number of full-time staff we have goes up and down. If I had to count, one, two, three, four, five... Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We probably have, I'm going to say, 15 full-time staff right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're hiring a couple of positions, uh, one in communications and I think the other in our events department. Um, and then we have, we've merged with another local organization a couple of years ago, Recycle a Bicycle, which is kind of a grassroots community bike shop type program. And so we have a bike shop um, through Recycle a Bicycle in Where's Brooklyn. Where's that? Oh, in Brooklyn. Yeah, in um, gr- uh, Green, Fort Green, Brooklyn. Um, and the founder of Recycle a Bicycle here locally, Karen Overton, is now full-time staff member here with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a network of maybe 80, 85 um, instructors who are part-time seasonal employees who teach our classes and programs um (coughs) excuse me and a very large network of volunteers who work on help help us put on our events Mm -hmm. 
and also help us with our education program. So, uh, yeah, I, I was originally attracted to uh, you guys by your advertisement for winter cycling classes. Yeah, we've done those uh, for a few years now. Um, and it's it's kind of a, you know, what, what we specialize in in terms of education is basic skills classes. We really work with beginner cyclists, whether it's kids or adults. Uh, but we have some other kind of, um, I won't call them one-off, but they kind of branch off into specialized topics like bike commuting and winter cycling is another one of those. And mainly the idea is to just help convey information and skills and knowledge uh, to people to keep them cycling year-round. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of it is very similar to our other classes, like we incorporate a street safety and rules of the road element to it, but it's also specialized knowledge in terms of, you know, how to stay warm, how to deal with weather, how to deal with um, early hours of darkness. Um, Any tips you can throw out there? All kinds, yeah. So um, I think probably the most important safety tip that I would suggest is, you know, daylight ends early and so you need a good you know lighting system for your bike and in new york state and in most states um a red tail light and a white front light is required by law and even if your local law doesn't require it it's strongly recommended to use a complete lighting system on your bike. Yeah, I remember I once didn't realize that it mattered which was in front and back, and some guy yelled at me, I can't tell if you're coming or going. That's, yeah, it's very true. It makes a difference. Uh, it's supposed to be like kind of like a motor vehicle, white in front, mm-hmm. red in back. Some states allow amber in back, um, but uh, you don't want to confuse people as to whether you're coming or going. Um, I recently started using... Um, an orange like construction person's vest uh, with reflective, very large reflective stripes on it just because uh, we have an issue at intersections in New York City with left turning vehicles uh, where people just, they're desperate to turn left and they'll cut you off. And so I wanted to make myself more visible uh, because I had a couple years ago close calls with left-turning drivers, even though I was very well lit up. Um, So I think the most important safety tip is, um, you know, make sure you're visible at night because around here it starts to get dark at 4.30 in December and January. Mm So, um, And isn't there a – visibility is uh, really important, but I mean you can't always be visible to somebody who's not – I mean if they're not looking at you too. And so uh, New York, we're – all looking at you as an example of a place with a lot of good bike infrastructure. Do you think of it as a good place with good bike infrastructure? It's better than it used to be, um, and it depends on which part of the city you live in. Um, just out here along the Hudson River, we have the busiest mm-hmm. off-street bike path in the United States, the Hudson River Greenway, and I use that. I live in the Bronx, so I use that and go all the way to the north end. Mm-hmm. Um, Part of my route has um, bike lanes. Part of it does not. It does not seem to make a huge difference to me whether or not it has a bike lane. 
it's as much what you do when you're on a bike that makes a difference mm-hmm. to your safety and how other people react mm-hmm. to your presence on the on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say probably maybe a little less than half of my route is on street and half of it is on this Hudson River Greenway. Oh, okay. So um, yesterday we got a little snow. Um, it was, the temps were warm. It was up to almost 40 degrees. The snow didn't really stick. Got a little more snow last night. Um, I decided to bring my fat bike in this morning. I wasn't sure how much of the bike path was gonna be plowed. Uh, sometimes parks department uh, drops the ball on that, especially the, the very north end, north of the George Washington Bridge. The fat bike was way overkill this morning. Mm-hmm. For the streets were very well plowed. Mm-hmm. Even the unplowed section of the bike path uh, north of the bridge, I could have ridden with my gravel bike, my touring bike. Um, probably could have done it with my road bike. It may not have been great, but I could see that very skinny tire tracks in the snow um, so other people were riding skinny tired bikes um, not that that's gonna work all the time when it snows here is, are, is there like snow tires you could throw on um, there are studded tires for like um, cyclocross bikes hybrid bikes mountain bikes I'm not sure they make them for skinny tired road bikes um, but I just use regular mountain bike tires. Um, yeah, those are kind of... They generally get the job done. And there's all these features that you see in New York on bikes that you don't see. Maybe it's just messenger bikes that I'm seeing, but you got the they're wrapped in tape. I am not sure what that's about. <laughs> I don't think it has anything to do with winter cold weather oh, cycling. Yeah. Maybe the bikes, I, bikes are cold? <laughs> I'm not even sure what kind of tape it is. It might be like a hockey stick tape. Some of it seems kind of shiny or translucent you tend to see those with the um food delivery Mm -hmm. cyclists but i have no idea why they're wrapped in tape probably a food delivery cyclist would be able to tell you that and well then that's an interview that has to happen and then the the mittens that are attached to the handlebars yeah you see people uh, especially the food delivery cyclists use bar mitts um i know that you know bike shops sell bar mitts for road bikes and mountain bikes um, I tend to just use either leather gloves with a warm liner inside, which really stops the wind, or if it's really cold, like getting into the 20s or teens, um, I use a leather mitten with a, it has a wool liner inside, and those keep my fingers pretty toasty. Okay. And I still have pretty good hand dexterity. I mean, I'm only using brake levers and the big thumb buttons on the shift levers so mittens work really well to keep my hands cold uh warm does it ever get too cold to ride yeah i think uh if when the wind chill starts to get into the teens uh, for me i that's a walk to the subway but mm-hmm. even then that walk to the subway is going to be pretty cold too right. so um i'm going to say people in the twin cities international falls minnesota green bay wisconsin those folks, you know, pride themselves uh, on really toughing it out in in super cold temperatures. Um, here, I mean, we can get some cold temperatures, but we're a little further south than than Chicago, the Twin Cities, certainly uh, Green Bay. And because we're close 
to the water, the Atlantic Ocean, and you know, we don't, in recent years, we haven't been getting as much snow as say, upstate or the Hudson Valley or New Jersey, mm-hmm. so. Uh, so people do do it, and so what would you put on your face? Um, you can use a, like a ski mask. I use uh, what's called a balaclava, which covers my head, my neck, my cheeks, and my chin. Um, I leave my mouth and my nose exposed just so um, I can breathe and I'm not, because I find that my balaclava vents, uh, vents my breath right up into my glasses, which causes them to fog up. So I leave that part clear. Um, and and that tends to provide enough warmth on my head, the balaclava. Mm-hmm. What other winter tips that I might might not be? I use obvious. yeah, I use um, winter cycling boots. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you're not using clipless pedals, you could probably get away with like an insulated hiking boot or um, those waterproof boots. Um, pullover kind of rubbery looking boots that people use um but i use biking shoes with clipless pedals so i went with uh, winter cycling boots i used to use like a regular shoe and booties but if i ever had to get off and walk and push my bike mm. if the snow is too deep that setup didn't cut it at all so i went to winter cycling shoes and they have like gore-tex insulation or something mm. in them that it really has to be super cold for my feet uh, to get cold. I use wool socks, tights, something over the tights, like um, knickers or long shorts. And then, um, you know, you want to you want to wear layers on your torso, so a wicking layer against your skin that wicks moisture away, um, and then one or two layers below like a a good shell or jacket that will keep um keep water out especially if it snows Mm -hmm. so so do you do you need that big like north face downy kind of thing or or would it just be like a windbreaker that you would have layers underneath um yeah so i tend not to wear super heavy thick insulated jackets or coats Mm -hmm. Um, although I'm going to say what I do wear on the outside layer is going to be thicker than a windbreaker. It'd be like a, a rain jacket or a heavy shell. Um, and then, you know, various layers, whether it's a fleece and, you know, a wicking layer against your skin. Okay. Wow. It's very technical. Um, yeah, I just like wearing jeans when it's 20 degrees out (laughs) and, and you're riding just doesn't seem very comfortable uh, to me. I've probably done it before, but not for a long time. Uh, but they do say, you know, like you don't want to put a cotton, you know, like a cotton t-shirt or a cotton long sleeve shirt against your skin because that just soaks up sweat. And you will sweat, like you're working. And like I got here this morning and the temps were in the like 32, 33 degrees. And I was sweating. Like my, I took my balaclava off and my hair was all wet mm-hmm. from sweat. And, you know, my upper body, the, you know, it was getting pretty damp. And that was, that's just a seven mile ride with a good uphill at the end. If you're riding just a, a short distance, like you're taking city bike a couple miles, um, you know, you don't need all that stuff. Um, you know, warm shoes, wool socks, 
maybe an insulated thermals um, underneath because you're just not going to be out there that long long enough to get super cold you know good gloves or mittens if you want to ride like long distances you probably do need to get more technical or if you're going to be bike out there in the cold all day like if you do have to be a delivery cyclist um, like we have a lot of food delivery in new york city um you know those guys are <laughs> out there and it's you know when we have bad weather here it's it's a pretty hard job yeah. and and they have to be warm so do you think they need your classes or could they teach your classes i don't have a good answer to that question um they seem to be pretty good at bike handling um and you know i don't think like in terms of safety that our bike crash problems in new york city are related to the food delivery or messenger or delivery cyclists really um they might have other tricks up their sleeve like there are such things out there as battery operated socks i do know that a lot of those food delivery folks use um, various handlebar mounted mitts they've really gone in for that in a big way and some of them just will somehow zip tie or attach layers of plastic bags if they can't afford the bar mitts mm-hmm. um, which still keep your hands dry and provide a little bit of insulation mm-hmm. um, there's these chemical heating packs they're kind of a throwaway item I don't know if they use those kinds of things but you can get them at you know like REI or you can probably buy them online you just break them open you could probably throw them in the top of your glove or something and they would keep you warm keep your hands warm at least it's funny I feel like it's easier to walk into this uh you know security gated uh, high-rise building and have an interview with you than to just pull over a delivery guy because they're you know they're on a delivery they're really busy there's a group here you can talk to called biking public project and they could probably assist you with finding a delivery guy to talk to or if you catch them when their shop is opening up um also there's the the delivery app companies so some some of the delivery folks are attached to specific restaurants and businesses Mm -hmm where others will work for like Uber Eats or Seamless as a delivery service, and there's other ones out there. Um, those companies might be able to put you in touch, or you could just put an ad up on Craigslist and say, hey, I would like to interview interview you if you're d- delivering food for Uber Eats. Good idea. You'd probably find somebody. And then when they're off duty. Yeah, when they're off duty. All right, well, anything else you'd like to tell me about uh, Bike NYC? Were you here from the beginning? No, um, our first fibro bike tour was um, started through the American Youth Hostel on 103rd in Amsterdam, and it actually came out of a program that was being run in the New York City Department of Education for high school students. And for some reason, that program disappeared. But the first year they did it, they had this culminating ride, which was the first fibro bike tour. And they kept doing it year after year. And it got so big that in the year 2000, um, the youth hostel decided to split it off and make it a separate organization. In 2004, only four years after that, they hired me to start their education program. Hmm. 
So um, that's really grown. We're, we reached almost 29,000 students with classes and programs. And when I say reach people, that means they attended something for at least an hour and oftentimes more, two hours or some of our summer camp and after-school kids, um, 10, 12, 16 hours if they attended all the sessions that were available to them. So it's really grown, and um, people learn a lot from it, and it's it's really kind of geared, besides programs for kids, geared towards the type of adult that says, hey, I want to get into biking, but I don't know what I'm doing here, either with the bike itself or with what's going on with traffic and I want to make sure that I, I feel safe out there. So that's, that's why we have a, an education program. And the other big bike organization in New York is Transportation Alternatives? Right. They have done, um, they, they've really shifted gears over the years, um, so, no pun intended, uh-huh. uh, really focus on bike lanes and infrastructure. And I, you know, I think that's appropriate. If you look at the cities around the world that are um, leading bike cities in terms of they have a huge population that bikes. Copenhagen, Amsterdam. Utrecht, yeah. Berlin, you know, European cities. What about uh, where they, like, is Bogota one? I know because they started Ciclovia. Yeah, so Bogota is the Ciclovia event. I'm not sure what they do in terms of bike infrastructure, like bike lanes and such, but the European cities and any any American city that's doing well with rates of cycling um, have invested heavily in infrastructure. So transportation alternatives does quite a bit with infrastructure. Um, they also do a lot with like legislation. So, um, you know, trying to slow down uh, our traffic speeds, trying to hold drivers more accountable. Um, they just got red light camera or no speed camera legislation passed in Albany that added several hundred speed cameras or speed sensors in school zones in New York City. Um, you know, our, our streets really shouldn't be the Wild West and um, even if, you know, an experienced cyclist like myself, there's still things that I worry about, like, hey, is that driver coming up behind me paying attention while they're speeding? Are they going to pass safely? Are they in control of their vehicle? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we shouldn't have a society that just gives people a free pass on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they do important work. And we've just um, hired two advocacy staff here John Orcutt, who many years ago was the executive director of Transportation Alternatives. Mm. Um, Then he led Tri-State Transportation Campaign, which was more of a think tank slash advocacy group for a variety of kinds of transportation. He served in New York City's DOT, Department of Transportation, very high up. Yeah, he was under uh, Jeanette Sadiq Khan, worked very closely with her. And that's when... New York City really started to take off in terms of adding bike infrastructure, changing our streets, um, and, uh, you know, really trying to encourage cycling and and encourage a mode shift in New York City. One of the things that Bike New York has led that really hasn't been on the advocacy radar screen, and it should be, 
is bike education in public schools as part of the school day. Mm -hmm. And so we've worked with um, New York City Department of Ed and Department of Transportation to put in a school day on bike skills curriculum mm -hmm. for seventh graders, for middle school kids. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a bare bones program, but it's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. So we, Bike New York trains the teachers and provides the curriculum. We also assemble and maintain the bikes. And when teachers are teaching the curriculum for the first time, we send some of our own trained and experienced youth instructors to work alongside with the teachers until they can learn the ropes of how to do this. And um, I want to say, is it 19,000? In, in the space of like two and a half years, the program has reached, I, is it 9,000 or 19,000? That's a big difference in numbers. I can't keep figures in my head. But um, it's reached a lot of seventh graders, and it's just a drop in the bucket because um, there's four fleets of bikes now that rotate from one middle school to another. Mm -hmm. And um, the program is in all five boroughs, but each fleet can only reach so many schools during the warm weather months because um, this is all done outdoors. So we're looking at adding two more fleets of bikes next year, and hopefully the program will expand and I to me that's important not just to teach the safety skills and it teaches a heck of a lot of kids how to ride a bike for the first time mm -hmm. but it also normalizes cycling as a mainstream thing like mm -hmm. we shouldn't think of cycling as alternative it should be something that any ordinary everyday person can do and it's accessible to them and I think Culturally, if it's taught in the schools, it becomes like math and science and reading and social studies. It's, hey, it's something I learned in school. It's an everyday thing. Mm -hmm. So we're happy with helping bring that change about. Um, and they teach biking in schools in places like Amsterdam? Yes. Um, we had an intern from Copenhagen here this year, and she, she told us that um, – the Danes have, I believe, a nationwide program, or else the the local school districts do it. Also, the the Dutch, mm -hmm. I believe, all of their schools. You, you know, you learn at different stages different things about biking in the Dutch schools. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, I think it's important for advocates to talk about all aspects of how you promote biking and not just bike lanes bike lanes are important mm -hmm. but it's like building football fields football fields don't teach anybody to play football you need coaches and teachers mm -hmm. and managers for that and it's the same way with um with bike lanes um, they get you so far it also helps to teach skills and knowledge and, and safety to mm -hmm. folks do you know that uh, there's a program a pilot in la to uh bring fleets of bikes to physical education pro, uh, programs and middle schools? I have heard about it. I am not familiar with the details on it. Um, what do you know about it? Uh, well, I was working at a middle school where that was one of the ones on the list, and uh, I stopped working there, but they, and they didn't roll it out before I left. 
But was that through the Specialized Foundation? Uh, I think it's Trek. Yeah, uh, it was a grant. It might have been. So the specialized, uh, the specialized company, which is based in California. Um, I'm sorry, st- it's not Trek. I thought Specialized was a Trek bike. No, uh, Specialized is it's totally its own different company. brand. Yeah. Um, they're based in California, and uh, they started a foundation to work with kids uh, in middle or high school who are diagnosed with ADHD. And they have this whole curriculum. A lot of these curricula are very similar across mm-hmm. the country. It's not like reinventing the wheel. There's a whole bunch of different ways to teach people bike safety or bike skills. Um, and a lot of the curricula follows the national model set by the League of American Bicyclists, including ours. Anyway, one of the things they've done is also work with universities to measure the impact of of cycling on the kids who go through this program, whether it's their ability to concentrate, whether it's uh, academic uh, performance, whether it's um, on-time performance, behavior problems. Um, And I had heard they were working with the L.A. school district, but I'm not sure if there's a wider effort besides them. I'm not sure now. I think it might be different, but... You know, it does strike me, though, that there are people doing the same work in different places, and they might not be really working together. Does, does that ever so, come up? Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, biking is a very local thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the organizations, at best, are statewide. Oftentimes, they are city or county organizations. If you've ever been to the National Bike Summit, the attendees at the National Bike Summit are mostly people who are coming from local organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in my experience, people who do bike education are usually very generous with things like providing curricula, um, people doing bike ed, borrow ideas and curricula from other places all the time. We get asked frequently to, um, you know, for our Learn to Ride curricula, which teaches, Learn to Ride teaches people how to ride a bike for the first time. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things Bike New York has become very well known for. Uh, We actually, I went down to Miami this fall to do a big training with Miami-Dade County because they wanted to train a lot of their municipal park staff how to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, It seemed like for a while New York State's Safe Routes to School program was borrowing a curriculum from Kentucky. Mm. Um, Well, Safe Routes to School is everywhere. Yeah. Well, it's a federally funded program. So... um, when you say people are not helping each other, it's not clear to me, like, how can I help somebody Wait, in, in Texas? Or how, how maybe they're not working well together. They're not working so. together. Right? Or, yeah. like, I don't know. I just feel like New York and L.A. have a very similar thing that they're doing. Right. And it's, like, kind of, like, maybe. And I find this when I interned at Metro that people in the building didn't, 
you know, we're sometimes like interested in the same things and not communicating with each other. Right. You know, maybe people on this <laughs> floor. Yeah. You know? it, it's like there should be a job for uh, inter interpersonal communication. Well, that's what I think national bike meetings can be helpful with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things I found in talking to people from other cities is oftentimes the problems that we face are different. Uh, for example, Washington, D.C. also has a district-wide, school district-wide bike education program for second graders. Mm. And I was talking to the guy who used to be the bike education director for Washington Area Bicycle Association, and we were kind of comparing notes. And at that time, we at Bike New York had gotten really no traction with our New York City Department of Education. I was like, how did you do this? You know, and and they had been able to work with Washington, D.C., and it was somebody inside the school district who saw the possibilities and what it could do to offer bike education. Mm -hmm. And that person became a real champion. On the other hand, you know, he I was asking him about their learn to ride classes and where they do them. And he said, you know, we just have not had good luck establishing a good relationship with Washington, D.C.'s city parks system. Mm-hmm. I said, that's odd because we have a great relationship with New York City Parks Department, and that's where we do 95% of all of our outdoor classes. Um, so it's it's like different city, because you do have, when you're doing this, you have to work with your local government whether it's the city or the county and um it's finding that person within the city government or the the right agency or the right office within the agency like new york city department of education is a huge system in its own right Mm -hmm. it's one of the biggest bureaucratic entities in the country like lausd like la right and we had it took us years and I don't know why it took us so long to find this person, but we eventually did. And maybe it's because she didn't exist or her job didn't exist when we made our first several attempts. But we found somebody in the Office of School Wellness whose job it is to work with community partners, and she's been a real champion uh, for doing school day bike education. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's one of the things, like, the guy I know in in LA, he's been able to do fundraising with your metro system mm-hmm. and put in these bike stations. And is he the company that does it? With them? I, you know what? When we're done here, I can okay. go look him up if he's on the league's website. Um, he's he's one of the league's coaches. I'm not sure he's listed there on their website though. Um, and I'm just blanking on his name. So, but we haven't had the gotten the same traction with MTA, our our own metro and public transportation system. Yeah, because your bikes are city bike. We use city bikes. Um, I'm not sure what you're referring. Uh, we have metro bike share, and uh, here okay. you have a bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was done in a totally different, right. totally different way, and. Except for placing city bike stations, our MTA wasn't really involved that I know of in 
the start of bike share mm -hmm. here. Uh, it's very interesting to just take the two places and put them side by side and see where you've, you know, made your progress and where we've made our progress and where each of us haven't. And, you know, are we learning from each other's... Uh, well, it's interesting. It's, um, again, because municipalities can be run very differently. Right. Again, yes. You can... It's like, it's like the Middle Ages, man. <laughs> so, like certain things we do, I think, are very exportable. But maybe the way we've done them is not. So the guy in Washington, D.C. who couldn't get traction with their parks department, we do work heavily in and with parks. So that part of what we do is not going to be helpful to him. Mm -hmm. um, we've gotten traction in New York City's through New York City's Office of School Wellness, which runs all of the health and physical education programs. If another school district doesn't have an office like that, or doesn't have an Elizabeth McSpedden whose job it is to work with external partners in health and PE, then that part of the model is not gonna be helpful to somebody in another city. Well, maybe we could use yours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the curriculum is what is exportable, the training model, the curriculum. But it also depends on how organizations are funded. Like the guy in L.A. that I know, he writes grants and gets funding from city governments and major agencies like your metro. Mm -hmm. Bike New York is mainly self-funded through the Five Borough Bike Tour. Mm. Um, other organizations don't have and may feel like they cannot create a huge fundraising mechanism like that. Um, and even now, you know, we're running into our own, you know, probably limits as to what we can raise off of that tour and our other smaller tours and events that we have. So. How, does, how does that tour translate into enough funding to run your It's 32,000 participants. Okay. They're all paying. Some of the participants pay a VIP package, which I think is 300 bucks or several hundred bucks or something. Um, we do get corporate sponsorship, like TD Bank is a corporate sponsor. Um, several years ago, we decided to add a weekend bike show to the event. Um, Prior to that, when somebody registered, we were mailing out the participant packets. So we had a, a big mailing cost. We said, hey, let's create a bike show. We can charge people to exhibit at the bike show, make attendance at the show free, and you have to come pick up your packet, your rider packet. So we were saving ourselves all that mailing cost. And it added this large new event. It's, um, I won't say we're like them the New York City Marathon, because that's a nationally known competitive event, but mm -hmm. we became more like them in terms of taking it from a single day event mm -hmm. to a multi-day event. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you have, is it a competitive event? Do you, don't no. you have, or don't you have the person who wins? Like, there must be 10 people who come from around the world to win this thing. There, it's not a race. Oh, it's not a race. It's not a race. Okay. It's a recreational ride. Right. I think last year we did some sort of a timed event climbing the Verrazano Bridge mm -hmm. where you could get your time posted, but it's not a sanctioned race. Okay. Um, it'd be interesting to turn it into a race so that the race would 
go ahead yeah. of the recreational ride. And we've probably thought about it. It's just we a lot of what we do with that event depends on the city's governments and city agencies' willingness to cooperate with it. Mm-hmm. So um, we can be sort of at their mercy in terms of what they say yes and no to. In L.A., we have something called the Marathon Crash Race. Have you heard of it? I have not heard of it. Just before the marathon, okay. there's a race on the route of the marathon. A sanctioned bike race? Yeah. Okay. Why is it called a crash race? Because it's like crashing a party. <laughs> okay. It's not because it's uh, a bunch of crashes along the way? I guess the there's a double meaning that could be there, yeah. Okay. It's the edgy kind of a... Yeah, yeah. My co-host, Roadblock, uh, is, is the one who organizes that cool i was just out there i was in santa monica um in the in october the league of american bicyclists mm-hmm. was holding a meeting for uh what they call coaches people who train their I'm actually lci coach i haven't done it yet but i went through the training seriously and, yeah wow um who'd you train with ron durgan that's the guy I know in, in LA. You you just uh, jogged my. Oh, nerves. he has bike stations and he has bike hubs and bike center in Santa Monica. I'm not sure what the name of his uh, the things that he puts in. If it's bike hub or bike station. I want to say bike hubs, yeah. but um, I really like Ron. He's um, super entrepreneurial, uh, and and that is what really one of the things that really impresses me about him is. His ability to, you know, find the grants and find the money and make this stuff happen, and then he, you know, he does all this bike education. So he he was sort of the host of this meeting in Santa Monica of the coaches, and um, he took us on the grand tour, and right along the like Santa Monica Beach and stuff like that. So it was a fun trip. That's great. This interview has worked out perfectly. Where like you've been searching for this name all along and then at the end I provided it yeah well because you had mentioned another name in in connection with your metro system the The guy who does the the he works in metro oh okay okay right Um, now this is Ron does these it's sort of like a public-private partnership and um, he has a two or three shops but he also they they also do like bike parking Mm -hmm like secure indoor bike parking and stuff like that. Um, they'll have a little bike mechanics station and a place where you can buy, you know, a few bikes, get repairs done, buy some accessories. I know he has a couple in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. There's one at Union Station, the, our downtown main. Yes, although I think he said that one closed. The it, yeah, the bike. It, well, the bike shop that was connected to the bike parking closed. Okay, that that's what closed. Might have been because they refused to allow any signage. Yes, he was talking. He was telling me about that. <laughs> uh, poor Ron. I mean, I'm very interested in such things, and I didn't know it existed until I interned with Metro, and they were taking me on the tour. Yeah. But anyway, that's another thing. Yeah, um, it was. It was a fun trip, and um, it's really interesting to see what, you know what he has going. Um, New York City, uh, LA's system is much more recent than New York City's, and it's kind of hard to imagine doing some of the nice bike station facilities that he has there. 
Um, unless it's something that could be added to like the new Penn Station that's being built here out of, out of the old Farley Post Office. Um, yeah, re real estate seems to be at a premium here for something like that. That's why I was so surprised you have such a beautiful headquarters. Yeah, we're doing okay. <laughs> I mean, there's a cathedral right outside your window? That's uh, Riverside Church. That's the, um, it's actually a fairly small church, but it's the tallest steeple uh -huh. in New York City. And if if you walk by it on the west side here, it's pr the steeple's probably taller than the church is long. Huh, small church, big steeple. And then we have Grant's Tomb. Um, just right across the street from it. So I would encourage all of our listeners to come and visit Biking <laughs> to see their office space. Yes, please do come. Please ride in the Five Borough Bike Tour. It's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, it's a pretty relaxed, chill ride. If you're trying to race it, you're doing it the wrong way. It's only 40 miles, and you have almost all day to do it. So. And so there's no medal for coming in first or second? No, I th we do have a finisher's medal. Anybody who crosses the bridge and gets to the finish festival goes through a line where they get a very nice medal uh, on a ribbon. So, Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Rich. Thank you for coming, Nick. Um, let me know when you have this podcast up, and we'll promote it for oh, you. Oh, great. That would be great. Thank you. Yep. Take care. Thank you. I didn't realize you were from L.A., so you're just, like, staying <laughs> here. Uh, Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 